Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I just want to share a word. Those of you, I'm not going to have the, obviously the words up on the screen as usual. Um, so if you want to follow with me in your Bible, I'm going to be reading a couple of verses from um, Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I'm going to be focusing a bit more on the topic. We, we, in this congregation, we, uh, in this church, we talk about our, our vision, our purpose, if I can call it that, is to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. And at the heart of that is disciple-making. Because leaders are just disciple-makers. Okay? And churches are just communities of disciples. Okay, so the crux of what we do, the crux of our vision is disciple-making. We make disciple-makers. And the way that we do, that's, that's what we do. Our purpose, our process, or our how, how we do it. If you ask us, how do you make disciples? We would say to you, we make disciples by teaching people to live the gospel, love the people, and obey the Spirit. And, and, and that means we believe that there are three things that any disciple needs to know. They need to know the gospel, and they need to be able to live it. They need to love people and uh, really care about people and being in a, in, a, in a caring community. In other words, we believe that discipleship is not a... Um, discipleship is a team sport, if I can call it that. Okay? Discipleship can only happen in a community. So people you know, out there who think, you know, I can listen to a podcast and be a disciple and make disciples without any contact with anyone else, you don't find anything like that in the Bible. And then thirdly, obey the Spirit. We believe that, that the Holy Spirit is the irreducible minimum of the Christian life. The one thing without which you cannot be a Christian is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is not just... Our, our reception of the Holy Spirit and our, and our experience of the Holy Spirit is not just a theory. It's an experience. It's a reality. And He leads us. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Right? So, this morning I just want to say a little bit more about living the gospel. I'm going to try and make it um, quite brief, if I can. And um, I'm, I'm just going to read a few scriptures from, from the book of Galatians. And, I, and I'm just going to sort of scheme over them. Uh, because I actually want to at some stage come back to Galatians. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing letter. So powerful. Uh, and especially uh, when it comes to the gospel. Um, and, and, you, and you can see how seriously Paul takes the gospel when you, when you read Galatians. When you read his other letters, it's actually a bit funny. When you read Paul's other letters, he always starts with a blessing or a prayer. With, um, you know, after the salutation, he's saying, I, I thank the Lord for, you know, you every time I pray about you. With the Galatians, there's nothing like that. Paul doesn't speak a blessing over them. He doesn't pray a prayer for them. He just jumps and he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning away from the grace of Christ to, you know, <laughs> to a different gospel. And then you can hear he's, he's hot under the collar. He's a bit upset now because they're turning away from the gospel. It just shows you how important the gospel is to Paul. But here's the thing. He's writing this letter, all six chapters of the book of Galatians, and it's primarily about the gospel. What is the gospel? Who is the right to define the gospel? And, and what, what is the true gospel and this different or false gospel that he's talking about? But notice that the whole letter is not written to non-believers but to believers. So Paul is saying it's important for believers to know the gospel. Which 
Many Christians find a bit strange because many Christians think that the gospel is for non-believers to tell them how to get into the kingdom. But then you just follow Christian principles in order to move on in the kingdom. And Paul is saying, no. The gospel is not only the way in, it's also the way on. The gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian faith, it's the A to Z of the Christian faith. And that's why we say we must live the gospel. Okay? Now, once we've seen that, once we've seen that the theme of the letter of Galatians is the gospel, and this letter is written to Christians, then when, because what happens inevitably when we talk about the gospel, we as Christians, especially Christians who have been Christians for quite a while, we tend to switch off. Oh, I know that. It's the milk. It's the basics. You know, give me some meat. Right? That, that's what we sometimes almost unconsciously tend to think. But what Paul is saying, no, the gospel is the milk and the meat. It's the full meal. Okay? And we never graduate beyond the gospel. We never graduate beyond the gospel. And therefore, when we hear about the gospel, we should sit up. Even as mature Christians, even if you've been in church for decades, even if you've been born again for many years, we should sit up and take notice and listen and learn the gospel. Because the more we know the gospel, the more we can live the Christian life. Because the Christian life is about living out the gospel. The gospel is the way in, yes, but it's also the way on in the Christian life. So... Three things. If we want to live the gospel, and I spoke to the leaders about a week or two ago, we spoke about this at at, um, the leaders' meeting. Three things. We we, we actually, what we did was we we said, okay, what does living the gospel mean? And, and, you know, we sort of got into groups and spoke about it. And three things that came out very strongly. Now, this, this is my wording. Some other people would put it in other ways. But this is my wording. If you want to live the gospel, You must first look at the gospel in Scripture, learn the gospel by looking at the gospel, and then learn to look through the gospel at all of life in order to live out the gospel. So you must look at the gospel and look through the gospel to live out the gospel. Okay, that's the crux of what I want to say to you this morning. And and I can guarantee you, if you can do that, if you can do that, if you can look at the gospel, and look through the gospel till you can live out the gospel. You are covering all of the Christian life. Okay? So let's look at a few scriptures from Galatians. Firstly, we see that Paul looked at the gospel. Um, in Galatians 3 verse 8, for those of you who are taking notes, Galatians 3 verse 8, we see that Paul had learned to read scripture through a gospel lens. Now it's, he'd learned to look at the gospel in Scripture and see the gospel where it appears in Scripture, even when the word gospel is not mentioned. Look at this. He says in Galatians 3 verse 8, Scripture foreknew or foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, saying, all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. So, so Paul sits there with his Hebrew scroll, and he reads, or probably it was the Greek of the Septuagint, and he reads, all nations will be blessed through you, and Paul sees the gospel there. Is the word gospel used in that phrase, in that verse? It's not there. The word gospel is not there 
in, uh, in, 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 in that verse from Genesis. And yet Paul sees the gospel in it. Can you see the gospel in scripture even when the word gospel is not used? Do you know how to look at the gospel in scripture and study the gospel and learn the gospel? In other words, one way, according to Paul, of phrasing the gospel is, I will bless you so you can be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now, it's by my grace, despite the fact that you don't deserve it, I will bless you, Abraham. But not only, the reason why I bless you is not just for yourself. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. So the gospel is all about God's blessing being spread to all the nations. That is good news, right? That's what the word gospel means, good news. And, and that is good news. That God actually wants to bless all the nations. And that we as the church, who by faith are the children of Abraham, the ones through whom this blessing must come, that we get to participate in being a blessing to the nations. That's good news. But I want you to notice how Paul looked at the gospel, how he could see the gospel in Scripture, even when the word gospel was not mentioned. Now, a couple of years ago, even as a pastor, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. If you asked me what is the gospel, I would have given you sort of a generic idea of what the gospel is. Um, and I have an idea, but I thought the gospel was just to get people into the kingdom. The gospel was for non-believers and then when you become a believer you graduate to bigger things. That's what I thought. Even as a pastor, I, I kid you not. Because that's the gospel I received. An ABC gospel, not an A to Z gospel. I, thought, I was taught that the gospel is just for justification. The gospel is not for sanctification. And then I discovered, no, the gospel is like, you know, it's, it's a lot bigger than I realized. And now, so as I've been studying it, all of a sudden I'm starting to see the gospel everywhere. All over the place in the Bible. And I can look at the gospel. And learn the gospel. And that's the first step. You've got to look at the gospel. And you'd be able, you, you need to be able to see it in scripture. And we need to look at it together in scripture. So you, we have to look at the gospel. Look at the truth of the gospel. Um, Tim Keller says there are two ways of reading the Bible. You can read the Bible as though it's all about you, or you can read the Bible as though it's all about Jesus. If you read the Bible without a gospel lens, you're going to read it as though it's all about you, all about what you must do in order to be saved. But as soon as you put on that gospel lens and you start looking at the truth of the gospel, looking at the truth of the gospel and reading the Bible through a gospel lens, you will start seeing that it's first and foremost about what Jesus has done for you and secondary about what you must do in response. And in fact, even what you must do in response is phrased as what Jesus does in you and through you. Um, when we... When we read the Bible through a gospel lens, then we, can see the, then we can see the gospel everywhere. We can see Jesus everywhere. Then, all of a sudden, David is no longer just an example of a courageous young man with faith that we must follow. We don't see ourselves so much in, G in, in David as we see Jesus in David. Because remember, we're more like the Israelites standing on the bank, too afraid to go and face Goliath. And Jesus, uh, and, and David... Um, goes as the champion, remember? It says Goliath was the champion of, of the Philistines and David was the champion 
of the Israelites. The champion is a representative. So he went as a representative to fight on behalf of God's people. And so the true and greatest son of David, Jesus, goes out as our champion, as our representative, and he fights on our behalf against the giants that we cannot slay. And as soon as he slays those giants, we can follow him into battle and win the victory with him. And yes, we must be brave. That's a legitimate message or lesson to get out of that. But if you think that you must be David, then you've missed more than half the message because you're not reading it through a gospel lens. Jesus is your David. He fights the giants you cannot conquer so that you can follow him into battle and then win the victory over Philistine, over the enemies. So we must look at the gospel. Then we must learn to look through the gospel. Listen to uh, Galatians 2 verse 14. Very well-known passage of scripture. Galatians 2 verse 14. Paul is talking about his interaction with Peter. Now what, what happened? Peter, and Peter's Aramaic name is Cephas. So you see the, the word Cephas in there and you'll, you'll know it's Peter. He, he came to, to one of the churches in Galatia. I think it was in Antioch. Yeah, it was in Antioch. Actually, not Galatia. In Antioch. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face because... He was sitting with the Gentile Christians in Antioch and eating from the same table. Now, you know, Jews, they kosher, you know, they, they don't mix their dairy and their meat and they don't eat pork and they don't, you know, eat food that was bought from a market that is not a kosher market because if, if unclean food touches a clean food, the clean food becomes unclean, etc., etc. So it's this it's a whole big rigmarole thing. Um, and Peter was ignoring all of that and sitting and eating with the Gentiles. Until some Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, from James. Then all of a sudden he started to withdraw from the Gentile table and said, no, no, I can't eat this kosher food anymore. What are the, the Jewish Christians going to think of me? And he started to sit at the kosher table. And, and, and listen to what, I mean, what, what would we call that? He's being racist, right? <laughs> But, but listen to what Paul says. Paul doesn't say he's being racist. He doesn't say he's being mean or nasty. Listen to what, how Paul describes it. Because what I want you to see is Paul is looking at this, this event. He's looking at what is happening through the lens of the gospel. So the, the gospel is not just truth that Paul looks at. It's truth that Paul looks through. And he interprets all of his life. Even the confrontations in his life through the gospel. So he says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So Paul looks at this thing and, and he could have said to, to Peter, Peter, you're breaking the racism law. Because there are scriptures in the Bible that makes it clear that racism is wrong. Um, and, that, and that we shouldn't be racist. So he could, have, he could have said that. But he doesn't do that. What he does is he looks... Through the gospel, he says, Paul, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, there's a line of truth that goes through the gospel, and you're at odds with it. You, you're veering off that line. If this is the line, you were walking on it, and then, you know, while you were eating with the Gentiles, you were walking on it, but then you veered off to the side. And you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, what, what, what Paul is saying is astounding. He's basically saying that there's truth. The truth of the gospel actually cuts across all of our lives. The entirety of your life. And all of your life, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
is as simple as walking in line with the truth of the gospel. Walking in line with the truth of the gospel. That's why it's important to look at the gospel until you can look through the gospel. Because then it means that you can interpret all of life through a gospel lens. Because then, then, when the gospel, when you've looked at the gospel until you can look through the gospel, you are so gospel saturated that you don't even have to ask yourself, what would Jesus do or what did Jesus do? Because his story, the gospel story, has become your story. And you walk in line with the truth of the gospel. Can you see that? Does that make sense? And, and that's why Paul, in another place, in, in Ephesians 5, when he talks about marriage, did you see how he describes marriage? He says, husbands. Does it start with, with wives or with husbands? It starts with that? It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Um, husbands, submit, uh, husbands, love your wives of Christ, love the church, and, and wives, submit to your husbands um, as unto the Lord in, in everything. And, and then he says, I'm talking, and he says well, a lot of things that sound about marriage, but he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So, so he's constantly using Christ and the church. He's basically saying that marriage is a parable of Christ and the church. So, so what is he saying? He's basically saying that marriage is gospel reenactment. That's what he's saying. He's saying when we live our everyday lives as husband and wives together, and this is powerful, we are acting out the story of Christ in the church, the greatest love story of all time. And people ought to be able to, we, we should live in our, as married Christians in such a way that people can look at us and see something about the gospel, something about Jesus in the church, something about the eternal great story, the greatest story of all the gospel. They should be able to see just in, in how we act and how we live and how we treat one another. And, and you can only do that if you look at the gospel so much that you can look through the gospel. Um, Paul had put on gospel lenses. Now, I just want you to... I'm going to give you an example of this. I had a story once of a, of a lady. She was counseling another woman. Now, this was it. she was a young lady. She had just been married, I think, a couple of months, actually. Um, and, and she came to her for counseling, and she was... She said, listen, I'm, I'm busy losing my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm feeling terrible. And, and, and the lady asked her, so the counselor lady asked her, so, so what's going on? Tell me your story. She said, and she said well, I'm feeling terrible, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so guilty because my husband and I, we've been married now a couple of months, but our marriage is falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. And, and what happened was we, we've been involved in church for a long time, for many years. We sort of grew up in church. And, and we were part of the worship team, part of the setup team. I mean, we, you know, we were those Christians. We were the ones that were there, you know, all the time, you know, involved. We were some of the most committed Christians. And, and even though we were so young, we were both leaders in the church, you know, because we had so much uh, respect from, from everyone. And everyone looked up to us as leaders because we were so involved and so on. And we really loved the Lord and we really tried to serve Him. And uh, we've been going out for a couple of years uh, and then we got engaged, and, and then we we made a big mistake, and we we stepped over the line. We actually um, had sexual intercourse, and I felt pregnant. 
and, and, and we didn't know what to do, you know, when, when after a couple of weeks when, when we realized I was, was pregnant, we were terrified, because our marriage was only, um, you know, more than a year, and, and, and now I'm pregnant, and, and everyone looked up to us, and, and so we, we knew this was wrong, but out of fear, we decided to have an abortion. And I went and uh, went to the abortion clinic, uh, and they obviously encouraged me to have it, and got the abortion, and, and, and all the while I knew it was wrong. I knew what I was doing was, I, I knew it was murder. I knew I was killing a life that God had created, and, and I just felt absolutely terrible about it, but I was so afraid, and, and I was so, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, we were so involved in church, you know, it was our identity and everyone looked up at us and we didn't want, we didn't want to lose that. We, we didn't want our people to, to despise us and hate us. And, and, and so we, we went through with the abortion, but, you know, and eventually we got married as well, but something was wrong and, and we were, you know, our, even our relationship had changed. We, 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 were, we were resenting one another for you know, for not stopping each other from having the abortion. And, and we felt terrible. And, and, you know, now we're a couple of months into marriage and we, are, we feel like we're about to get a divorce because our lives are just falling apart. And, and I'm falling apart because I, I had my own baby killed inside of me and I feel terrible about it. I feel absolutely terrible about it. And um, th- this the lady who was counseling us said, um, well, you, you, you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that... Yes, what you did was very wrong and it was actually terrible, but Jesus died for terrible things. And and um, if you repent of your sin, if you confess it, no, you, you repent of it, confess it uh, before Him as a sin, He will forgive you. And, and, and she said, yeah, I, I can understand that about other stuff, but, but this is murder. This is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And this counselor was looking at this whole situation through a gospel lens. She looked at the gospel, the truth of the gospel, until she could look through the truth of the gospel. And she was looking at this young lady and she said to her, because she was looking at her through a gospel lens, she says, no, that's not the worst thing you've ever done. She said, what do you mean? I mean, what on earth can be worse than, you know, killing someone? Killing my own baby? And And she said, but if you've been in church and you've heard the gospel, you should know that this baby is not the first person you've killed. It was your sin and my sin that were the direct cause of Jesus, the Son of God, being innocently killed on the cross. In other words, the gospel tells us that we're far more wicked and evil than we ever dared imagine. And yet, at the same time, far more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And this lady could receive, could, with the help of the council, look at her life through the gospel and see, oh my goodness, I was, I was so committed to keeping up appearances as though I'm this great person, you know, who deserves respect, who deserves, you know, all people's applause and all people's, um, you know, accolades and adoration and all that kind of stuff. 
when actually, according to the gospel, from the beginning I've been a murderer. Why I'm saying that is, I want you to see, and this is just one example out of many. When you look, when you look at the gospel, until you can look through the gospel, at your own life, you realize, I don't have to keep up appearances. If we are a community that looks at the truth of the gospel until we can look through the truth of the gospel at one another and ourselves, we will be a community where no one feels the pressure to have to keep up appearances. To pretend to be better than they are. Because we all know, to put it very bluntly, according to the gospel, we're all murderers. Already. So we don't have to keep up appearances. The little sins that we commit on a day-to-day basis, we can, we can confess those to one another because those are not the greatest sins we've ever committed. Can you see what happens when we start looking at the gospel until we can look through the gospel? And then, finally, we must live out the gospel. Galatians 2 verse 20, uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body or in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So we must look at the truth. We must look at the gospel until we can look through the gospel so that we can live out the gospel. Um, Paul lived as though he had already died. Paul lived as though he had already died because he was living out the gospel. If you look at the gospel until you can look through the gospel so that you can live out the gospel, you will also live as though you've already died. What will you be afraid of then? Do you, do, you, do you understand now why Paul was so absolutely fearless? And why he turned the known world upside down? Why he could go into the Greco-Roman world and plant vital, life-giving churches in hostile territories where, they, where even the worst persecution in the world couldn't wipe out those churches? Even when, when Nero took those Christians and stuck them on, on, on stakes, uh, covered them in tar and used them to light the pass on the side of Rome. Even when he, when he sewed pieces of animal skin to, the, to their flesh and threw them into the circus to be eaten by the wild beasts and the lions. They went to their death singing. So that, so that Nero closed his ears and said, Must these Christians always sing? Why did they go to their death singing? Because they lived as people who had already died with Christ and in Christ. And death was just a stepping stone into a closer relationship with Christ. They lived the gospel. And, and, and they lived... You know, living the gospel means you live as if the gospel is true in every area of your life. Do we live as if the gospel is true in every area of our lives? Not fully. Definitely not. I don't think any of us fully do that. Um... One day, I was, in, I was a student in Stellenbosch, and we went on a, on a camp, and I want to end with this story. Uh, and one of my big challenges in life um, was um, sort of a feeling of rejection. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that, you know, sort of a feeling of rejection. 
of not being good enough. Um, and, and part of it was because my, in, in my experience, the love I was receiving and so on had been conditional. And, and, and the problem with conditional love is that it's manipulative. If you do well, I will reward you with love. But if you don't act up according to my standards, I will reject you until you, as a form of punishment, basically, in order to get you to pull up your socks and, and do right, live right. And, and it, which means that conditional love ends up being worse and more damaging and more harmful and hurtful. Well, at least just as hurtful as rejection, because it's in, in fact a form of rejection. And, and uh, you know, I struggled with this um, rejection and I, I couldn't sort of accept that anyone could love me or would love me. And, and then when God came to me and started revealing His love as not being conditional love, but as being unconditional love. When God came to say to me, I love you, just the way you are. And I was like, yeah, of course, sure you love me. Yeah, you know, you know me. You know me too well to be able to love me. And then eventually, when, when I went through the scriptures and started realizing, okay, God does say, I was like, okay, Lord, fine, I'll accept that you love me unconditionally. But you just love me unconditionally because you have to. Because if you didn't have to, it would disqualify you from being God. <laughs> so you love me unconditionally because you have to, not because you want to. But God kept on working in my heart, kept on working in my heart. And I remember I was on that camp and I went up in the mountain, sort of early in the morning, the Lord woke me up and I went up in the mountain and I just prayed. And I just decided, I didn't realize what I was doing then, but I realize now, I, I decided I was going to look at the gospel until I could look through the gospel. And I decided I was going to look at the, God's love demonstrated to me. And I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I said, the scripture says that the cross stands as an eternal monument that Jesus loved me more than I could ever understand, more than I could ever imagine more than I could ever conceive of, more than I could ever deserve. He loved me whether I felt like it or not. He loved me whether I thought I deserved it or not. He loved me whether I liked it or not. He loved me so much that He was willing to die for me. For God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Unconditional. And I remember just praying and being led by the Holy Spirit to, to look at that truth of the gospel until I could decide to look through it. And I decided I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to interpret all of life through, in the light of God's gospel love for me. I'm going to interpret all of life in light of God's love for me. In other words, I'm going to say to myself that no matter what happens to me, I know God loves me. I'm not going to try, I'm not going to argue from circumstances and try and deduce from circumstances, does God love me or not? Do my circumstances show me that God loves me? I'm going to say, no, I know God loves me. So He's bringing these circumstances in my life. So why in His love would He allow these circumstances to come into my life? When things go wrong, I don't say, does God love me anymore? Now I say, why does God in His love allow these difficult circumstances to come into my life? What is he wanting to do? How is he wanting to love me through these circumstances? And what I did without knowing it was I learned to look at the truth of the gospel until I could look through the truth of the gospel so that I could live out the truth of the gospel in all of life. 
And that's what we want to do. Imagine we were a community of people who did that all the time. Who looked at the gospel till we looked through the gospel so we could live out the gospel in every area of our lives. As parents or, or siblings or children at home. As colleagues at work. As employers or employees at work. As friends and neighbors. What kind of impact would we have on this world? Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, Jesus, that you gave your life for us. Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you will enable us through your Spirit to look at the, the Gospel until we can look through it, until we interpret all of life through a Gospel lens, so that we can live out the Gospel in every area of our lives. Thank you that we don't have to do it alone, that we do it as part of a loving community. And thank you, Lord, that we, as a loving community, don't do it alone because your Holy Spirit lives inside of us and empowers us to do this. And Lord, we just acknowledge Holy Spirit. We just want to acknowledge you. Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Thank you Jesus that you live in us. But thank you that you live in us through your Holy Spirit. And that you are closer to us than we are to one another. Thank you Holy Spirit that you are closer to us than we are to one another. And thank you that you empower us. And give us the grace that we need. To live the gospel. Everywhere. Every day. In Jesus name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.